Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As hard as you can. Why? How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? This is how I met Tyler Durden. Come on, hit me before I lose my nerve. If you any celebrity, who would you fight? Hemingway. You? I'd fight William Shatner. It was on the tip of everyone's tongue. Can I be next? We just gave it a name. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. There's 100 million sufferers of chronic pain in the United States. Chronic pain disables more people than cancer or heart disease. A lot of patients get very uh, concerned that, you know, the doctor or the person treating them is saying, you know, the pain's in your head, as if it's a derogatory thing and they're making it up. It literally is. Biologically, that is where it happens. God, if medication works for cancer, it could work for this. Stay with the pain. Don't shut this out. No, no, God! Get your hand. First up was made from the ashes of heroes. When you see a cringe-worthy scene like this, you immediately feel bad for the motorcyclist, right? You experience empathy. But my guest today says his body can physically feel the experience of others. I mean, there's a whole philosophical discussion around why do we experience pain and the purpose of it. So, you know, pain is so intertwined with living animals and what drives us and motivates us. Hit me in the ear! Well, Jesus, I'm sorry. Hello and welcome to Science-ish. I'm Rick Edwards, joined as ever by Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. How are you, Brooks? Are you I'm right? really well, yeah. Yeah. Excited about this season? Yeah, very excited. I mean, it's kind of, it's a funny one because it is obviously um, thrilling to be back for season four of science Season four After what already. was uh, an almost unspeakably long season three. <laughs> season three, I think, lasted for about a year. Yeah, um, yeah. So this week, I am going to be taking the lead and we're starting with, I mean, it's an undeniable classic. Yeah. Cult classic, I suppose. I don't think it did particularly well at the box office, but subsequently, people love it. David Fincher's Fight Club. <laughs> I mean, what a film. I mean, it's lovely stuff, and I feel like most people will have seen it, but in brief, you have Edward Norton, who is... doesn't have a name. No. No, no, just the narrator. Yeah. And he uh, is a sort of... He's got insomnia, and he's he's very he's very unhappy. And he starts going to these support groups for things that he doesn't have. And then he meets this guy, Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden, who is... I mean, the first thing to say, really, about Brad Pitt is his physique in this film really sort of ruins uh, life for all men <laughs> because it, i mean it's toxic masculinity it, isn't it it's, it's kind just... of oh, he's just he looks fantastic yeah 
He looks too good. He looks too good to be true. So uh, the point, anyway, of this is you've got um, uh, Edward Norton meeting uh, the the Brad Pitt character. They start a uh, a fight club um, where they're just like hitting each other, and then the fight club grows and it starts setting up in lots of different cities. And then they kind of form this thing called Project Mayhem, and they're all like anti corporate, um, anti consumerism, anti materialist. Um, and ultimately, is this a spoiler? No, they try and blow up some banks. Yeah, it's not a spoiler, is um, it? But it, it's, it's all it's really the about these, these men uh, just hitting each other at these fight clubs. The first rule of fight club is you do not talk about fight club. The second rule of fight club is you do not talk about fight club. Third rule of fight club, someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out. Fight is over. Fourth rule, only two guys to a fight. Fifth rule, one fight at a time, fellas. Sixth rule, no shirts, no shoes. Seventh rule, fights will go on as long as they have to. And the eighth and final rule, if this is your first night at Fight Club, you have to fight. Um, so, the big question from Fight Club is how much pain is too much pain? Oh, intriguing. Yeah. Gut feeling? How much? <laughs> I mean, a lot. You can take a lot of pain, can't you? Much well, more speak than for you, yourself. <laughs> you can, you know, much more than you think you can. I mean, what, what's your worst pain experience? Um, I think probably breaking my wrist. Right. That was... How did you do that? Uh, I tried to push in to the lunch queue at, at school. <laughs> <laughs> True story. <laughs> How the hell did you break your wrist doing that? I, just, I was trying to like push. I was, I'm literally, I was trying to push physically into the lunch queue to try to move someone out of the way, and I just sort of got my like hand caught at an odd angle, and then kept pushing. And uh, right. snappy snap. Wow. Oh. How about you? My most painful moment was when I broke my leg playing football. So somebody tackled me. Basically, I heard my leg snap. Ooh, oh, I hate that. <laughs> and I was, I was almost at the corner flag and the goalkeeper said, oh. <laughs> like, That's but I, I sort of convinced myself that it couldn't possibly have broken. Mm. And I thought, It was the corner flag snapping. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to swell up. I better just get off the pitch and drive home now. So I got in my wow. car, and then by the time I was almost home, I couldn't drive properly. So I'm, I'm there behind the wheel. This is my right leg that's broken, and I suddenly realized I needed to brake, and I couldn't apply any force to the brake pedal. So I actually, it hurt so much. So I had to brake with my left leg and uh, managed to get home. Sort of thought, no, it's probably fine. Didn't even go to the hospital. I mean, that's how, how nails I am. Oh, wow. So you can take quite a lot of pain. Yeah, and then... What do you do? Just splint it up with a stick? I just sat there with, you know, with a bag of peas on it. And, uh, um, classic. <laughs> elevate. And uh, the next day, uh, my wife said, I think you need to go to the hospital and get that x-ray just to be sure. So I actually walked up to the hospital... <laughs> And um, some, I think I was taking quite a lot of painkillers. And I got there. They x-rayed it. They said, yeah, it's broken. Don't put any weight on it whatsoever because it's a spiral fracture and it'll just, the oh. bones will shear. Oh. So, uh, yeah. So that, but that moment of like trying to break and just this fucking unbelievable pain. 
That was that was my worst. So I, I think a that's a more impressive story than mine. Disappointing. <laughs> well, it, yeah. it would be hard not <laughs> no. to be more impressive. Than... <laughs> uh, and B suggests that you've got quite a high pain threshold, doesn't it? I think I might have. Mm. I don't know. I mean, don't test I mean, me. I'm going Chinese burns actually, after this yeah. episode. All right. So who's uh, raining pain on our question? Uh, we've actually got the professor of pain herself. Uh, she's the head of the Nuffield Department of Clinical Neurosciences at the University of Oxford, Professor Irene Tracy. Pain is the body's alarm system. And what it's there for is to let you know that something out there or something inside your body is causing harm or going to cause harm and might even in extreme circumstances hurt you. So what it's really good at doing is teaching you to learn what caused it so that you avoid it again. You know, we don't touch hot pans on stoves. We don't put our fingers in candle flames. And it alerts you that, you know, maybe you've injured yourself and you need to take care of that part of the body and let it heal. Or you might need to take an aspirin for a headache or something. You don't actually experience pain until the brain gets the signals. A lot of patients get very uh, concerned about that, that, you know, the doctor or the person treating them as saying, you know, the pain's in your head, as if it's a derogatory thing and then making it up. It literally is. Biologically, that is where it happens. So let's start with touching, say, a hot pan on a stove. Underneath the skin, just right below the skin surface, are where actually the sort of pain-detecting, what we call neurons or nerve cells are. And we've got different types that will encode different qualities of pain. So mechanical pain, like a pinprick, or hitting yourself with a hammer. Chemical pain, like chilli peppers. People will probably rub chilli peppers um, and have chopped chilies, you know, rub their eyes and it really hurts. That's chemical pain. And then, of course, thermal pain, so really cold or really hot. So we've got different receptors that can encode for those different things. Some of them can encode for two at the same time or three at the same time, and we call that polymodal, many modes. So let's take the chilli pepper receptor. That can also be spoken to by heat, so that's why chilli peppers feel hot, because the same receptor can talk to chilli peppers and can talk to heat when you touch it in your skin. That's what we call transduction. The next bit's called transmission, and that signal then is transmitted up the arm, let's say it's from my hand, through nerves, into my spinal cord. And then up it goes into the brain. And all that is what we call nociception. It isn't pain until the brain receives that signal and starts to process it and say, ouch, that hurts. All right, so pain is actually a good thing. Well, yes, from an evolutionary point of view because it just alerts you to the fact that you are being injured or harmed and allows you to learn not to do that again and when you first think about it you're like oh it'd be quite good to go through life without feeling any pain but actually there is a very rare condition congenital insensitivity to pain um, that you find in people which have a, a genetic mutation and they don't feel any pain at all and it's it's a nightmare unless you're a bond villain because there was a Bond villain, wasn't there, who didn't Alpha feel the world is not enough. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's handy. I suppose Robert it is Carlyle. I, sort of handy if you're a villain. But the reality is that you just damage yourself constantly. So people are like <laughs> biting off their own tongue or, 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 or like oh. walking, like classic you actually, like walking on a broken leg 
and ending up with deformed bones or getting like really serious ear infections because they can't feel the pain. Oh, like, no. it's 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 just not a good thing. Yeah, they didn't um, show that side of it, did they? In the world is not enough. No, a different sort of film then, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. So there's two different types of this um, insensitivity, or there's two ways in which that uh, people can not feel pain. So one type of genetic mutation means that the the pain fibers, so like the neurons, they can detect. The, the signals, so they can detect the, the the heat or the or the pressure or whatever it is. Right. But then uh, they can't get the signal transmitted up the fibers, so the fibers don't don't work. So the signal never gets to the brain, and therefore you don't process it as pain. So that's one sort. And there's another sort where actually a uh, different um, mutation, a different gene, where you you just effectively don't have those those nerve cells, so you're not detecting right. anything. Yeah. Um, and and it and it is absolutely no good. All right. So, what are the worst painful conditions that are causing people to be off work? Uh, well, the NHS um, kindly—it's a slightly odd thing for the NHS to do—released <laughs> a uh, like the top twenty most oh, painful health conditions. The charts. Um, but annoyingly, they didn't do it in rank order. Oh. Um, and we'll get into. And actually, because it's almost impossible to do that. Um, but. Go on, have a have a go. See if you can get some of them. Well, it's going to be bad back. Uh, what lower back pain? Lower back pain. Uh, Your friend and mine. Mm, no, I mean sciatica. Yes. Oh yes. Slip disc. Yes, but just like like the kind oh, of just... back pain that I get, I don't think that's it. Um, headaches, migraines. Yeah, migraines and like cluster headaches in particular, where where it's incredibly focused. Yeah. Broken bones, obviously. Tooth pain. Uh, I don't think tooth pain's in there actually. Oh. No. No tooth pain. Uh, shingles, heart attack, nasty. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're going to take a day off for that, aren't you? Yeah, probably? I think so. Uh, appendicitis, gout. All right. So, obviously, one of the famously most painful things is childbirth. That's kind of your classic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And the issue, uh, famously, is that the head of the baby is big yeah. and the birth canal is barely big enough. And, and I think it's like one in a... Th- thousand births the head is just too big and so it has to be taken out by cesarean and you kind of think from an evolutionary perspective what's going on because you would assume that a good thing would be to have a kind of low risk easy quick delivery that's what you would want in the wild so if you look at apes and monkeys their average labor time is two hours still i mean two hours is not Short, but fine. <laughs> Whereas the average labour of a first birth in a human is nine hours. Like it's it's a long, nine hours, it's a, of, nine intense hours of, in, of intense pain. And there's one hypothesis which has been quite popular in, in the past called the obstetrical dilemma. And the idea is that you want a wide pelvis so you can bear a big-brained baby right, yeah. so that the, the brain is nice and developed when it, when it yeah. comes out. But for walking and running around you need to have a narrow pelvis, otherwise you're very inefficient. And therefore, it's a kind of compromise position between the two. So the compromise is the baby comes out with a big head, but it can still just about fit through. However, there's a new sort of school of thought or newer school of thought, which is that it might just be to do with the energetics of it. So there's an amazing stat, isn't there, about like a mother uh, can lose up to 4% of her own brain volume when she's pregnant. And because of the energy that is required by the 
wow. by, by the baby's growth. And obviously our brains are very energetically demanding as well. Yeah. So the, this other idea is actually that the birth happens at the point when the mother can no longer satisfy the energetic yeah, demands that, that of the Yeah, that would make growth. sense, wouldn't it? So it, it, at the point at which the baby starts to starve, you give birth. Right. And, yeah. and actually it's just a coincidence that the baby's head and the birth canal are a similar size at that point. Yeah. And it works well enough. Yeah, you can imagine that there being sort of chemical signals coming through from you know, not having enough food or whatever and just yeah, like yeah. stimulating the yeah. whole thing to start. Yeah. Yeah. But it does mean very painful, very tight squeeze. What is this? This is a chemical burn. Ah! Ah! It hurt more than you've ever been burned, and you will have a scar. What are you doing? Guided meditation worked for cancer. It could work for this. Stay with the pain. Don't shut this out. No, no, no. Look at your hand. The first soap was made from the ashes of heroes, like the first monkey shot into space. Without pain, without sacrifice, we would have nothing. I tried not to think of the word serum or flesh. Stop it! This is your pain. This is your burning hand. It's right here. I'm going to my cave. I'm going to my cave and find my power. No! Don't deal with it the way those dead people do. Come on! I get the point, okay? No! What you're feeling is premature and light. So, um, presumably, though, there's lots of ways in which we've learned to control pain over the years. So in the uh, 17th century... Um, we were using a lot of opium, so uh, kind of resin from from poppies. You'd have it as uh, laudanum, where you mix it with sherry. Yeah, um, and people are, people are basically just they're having the time of their lives on it. And then smack and sherry, but, anyone? But one one issue with the with the odd smack <laughs> um, was that if you're just getting it straight from a plant, um, you can't really control the dosage very easily because there's just no. huge variation according to you know. Um, just the, the individual plant. But once they had cracked how to extract morphine, that was a pretty key event in, in the history of, of painkilling because now you could control dosages um, and you could start using the same method to extract all sorts of these alkaloids, so codeine, or caffeine, nicotine, whatever, from plants. Yeah. yeah. So you were able to extract active ingredients and and dose them correctly and uh, as a sort of side note really which i really enjoy <laughs> is that freud when he was pre psychoanalysis he was just a young doctor who got really really into coke did he now yeah was he, he actually hooked was he addicted he was definitely taking it and prescribing it and actually one of the things that he prescribed <laughs> he was prescribing it for uh, was uh, morphine addiction <laughs> 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 Classic. Let's just wean you off the smack and let's get you on the coke. Well, you could argue that it is better, couldn't you? You, Yes, you could. Yeah. You could. I yeah. think it's a quite thin argument, isn't it? All right, so all in all, have we got pain relief sorted? Is it effective? Uh, it is pretty effective for acute pain. And by acute pain, I mean short-lasting pain. Um between you know anesthetics which just sort of knock you out totally and painkillers which is locally like numb pain yeah they can take care of that but chronic pain so people who suffer with pain constantly it is an absolute nightmare Now we're going to look at chronic pain. This is a condition that's estimated to cost the Irish economy up to 2.5 billion euro a year. It's estimated that over 70 million Americans suffer from chronic pain. When you can't shut it off, it's chronic pain. Chronic pain is what I call the dark side of pain. And this is when basically the system's gone wrong and people are just held in these persistent 
non-stop pain states where they might have background ongoing pain. It could be the pain sharply comes and goes. It could be areas of the skin are just really sensitive to touch. Uh, walking on joints could be really painful. And this basically is just happening most of the day, all day, 24-7, you know, months, years. The economic impact is huge. Not only just the cost of treating and managing it, 600 million you know, a year in the US and uh, 2 billion in Europe per annum. It's also factoring in people at a prime stage of their life not being able to contribute to the economy because they can't work. That's got people raising their eyebrows and realising, wow, this is a condition we need to understand better. And that's much needed by these patients who are living with completely insufferable quality of life. So you're here in the labs, it's like a torture chamber. So we've got devices that can produce hot pain, cold pain, electrical pain. We can put chemical pain on in terms of, you know, the active ingredient of chilli peppers that we call capsaicin. We've even got balloons that we can put in various orifices and blow up to simulate visceral pain. There's a very powerful mechanism that underpins a lot of chronic pain called central sensitization, which is in the presence of constant pain coming in from the periphery, you'll set off these amplifiers in the central nervous system that basically turn up the volume. And this is a really big problem because in chronic pain, it doesn't switch off. So the capsaicin work that we do is really important for us to understand this very important mechanism. Generally, we'll have the cream made up with different percentages of this ingredient, so it's got different strengths. And uh, we'll put it on a patch of skin and you know, we leave it there to cook for, say, half an hour, 45 minutes. So that's simulating just the constant background ongoing pain that a patient might have. And generally what we'll do is put the subjects in the scanner whilst they've got this cream on and it's ongoing pain. You know, and for some people it can get up to eight or nine on a 10 point scale. And that can help us unmask where the amplifiers are inside the spinal cord and the brain. I mean, there's a few ways to inflict pain. Is there a yeah. good way to kind of measure pain? There's lots of ways, but it's really, it's a really tough problem because although it is a physiological process, it's totally subjective. Only you can feel your pain. So it's a kind of like a private experience almost. Like it doesn't, yeah. like you can kind of tell me about a pain that you're in, but I don't really know whether your okay. description, yeah, I certainly don't know whether I care or not, <laughs> but can I imagine what that pain would feel like from your description? Not necessarily, because we might be sort of operating on different scales. It would yeah. depend on you know, what's the most painful thing you've ever experienced? And that will be at the top of your scale. But if you have sort of objectively, if I've objectively suffered worse, then my scale will be different to yours. Yeah, so even yeah. saying, oh, which they often do, rank from zero to 10, how are you calibrating that? Yeah. And so measuring it is complicated, but the most common way is self-report. So you just ask people, how much pain are you currently in? And there's one type where you get given lots of words. And so it's called the McGill pain questionnaire I think um, and so it's all, it's all of these different words and you have to say is this agonizing is this sharp and how severely and then you'll use a kind of numbered scale but the problem with that is that it doesn't really cross cultures very well so the language that you're using um, just doesn't necessarily mean anything to some people right and then the the other way is just sort of observed behavior so 
is this person grimacing? Is this person limping? Is this person wincing? Is this person's kind of recoiling? Uh, okay. And there's an algorithm, uh, of course there is, that MIT developed that measures kind of micro expression. Uh, it's called deep facelift. And you kind of wonder, like, how are you going to use that algorithm? Like, I'm not going to... I'm going to be very disappointed if I go in to the doctor and say I'm in real pain. I need I need some medication, and then they just go, "Hold on a minute, let's sit in front of the computer," yeah. uh, and the computer just goes, "Not in much pain," <laughs> and then they just send me off. I'm like, "Well, no, no, I, I mean, I am." And then there's there's sort of um, indirect measures that you'd use when a normally if a patient is un, is unconscious, um, so. Changes in heart rate, changes in in breathing rate. Um, so that and they're just autonomic changes indicating stress. Yeah. Um, or because it's or not threat. actually pain if they're unconscious, is it? Uh, no, no. But it's it's, it's measuring the, the, saying, the body is good. reacting. Yeah. Yeah. But the point is, it's a really inexact sort of. I mean, science art almost like trying to kind of interpret this stuff. And you can distract um, yourself, can't you? So context and, yeah. and kind of how you're feeling generally probably makes a difference as well. Yeah, totally. So if you're anticipating that something is going to hurt, it will it will hurt more. Um, which is why, and the really obvious kind of example would be if if a if a doctor and they don't really say this anymore, but I think you say this will hurt, yeah. then then you will f- it, it will hurt because <laughs> you're basically absolutely primed yeah, to respond yeah. like that. But with something like uh, a stubbed toe, what tends to happen is you stub your toe, you're like ah, and then with time you realise, oh, no, that really hurts yeah. because you weren't anticipating it. So you weren't primed for pain. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, like you can have, you know, all of this contextual stuff, you know, the the emotions that you're feeling at a given time. Like if you are feeling depressed, you'll feel pain more acutely. If you're feeling happy, less so. It's fascinating how much yeah. your, uh, you, your kind of, response to to pain or actually like feeling of pain is influenced by mindset and context you need to lighten up can you please just give me something no you need healthy natural sleep choose some valerian root and get more exercise hey come on i'm in pain you want to see pain swing by first methodist tuesday nights see the guys with testicular cancer that's pain. Presumably, there's kind of genetic component. Yeah, there's something quite odd with redheads. There's a relationship between the uh, genetic differences in redheads that give them the red hair and production or the stimulation of the production of some hormones, including endorphins. And endorphins, obviously, related to pleasure, but then pleasure and pain are also kind of intrinsically linked. Yeah, okay. And so you end up with. It's quite an odd situation where it's not that they feel pain more or less, it's that they, they feel it differently. So um, they would be more sensitive to thermal pain, so right. heat, uh, but then they're less sensitive to uh, other other painful stimuli, like, like an electrically induced pain. They require more anaesthetic. Oh, do they? Bizarrely, yeah. So if a doctor is operating on a, on a redhead, they'll probably increase the dose slightly. Wow. Which is mad, yeah, but, but true. And they're, they're less sensitive to the active ingredient of chilli peppers, the uh, capsaicin. Yeah. Um, they can take a hot curry. So it's not more or less tolerant, it's just different. Right. Um, so if I was to kick Ed Sheeran in the balls, he would 
feel that different to if I were to kick you in the balls? Well, there's only one way to find out, isn't there? <laughs> Ed, if you're listening, get in touch with the show. <laughs> in short, pain is good for you. You don't want to have it eliminated completely. Bad pain, chronic pain, you absolutely do want that to be eliminated. And there's the whole pain community working extremely hard scientifically and clinically to do just that. My own view is that although it has been in a fairly bleak place to date because of just the sheer volume of people and the inadequacy of the current treatments, although some do work well for patients, I'm very optimistic about what's coming forward now in this next decade based on the new science and new discoveries and new targets. It's just a completely different landscape. Pain can be debilitating to someone on a daily basis. But there's new technology in the treatment of pain. But this hour's newsmaker is here to share some new treatments to manage the discovery. Researchers are offering hope to millions of people after they say they've discovered a so-called off switch to a gene. So in terms of our future for pain, I mean, pain will always be there. You know, this is something that all animals experience. And as I say, it's a very protective thing. So um, I would not want it to go. I mean, there's a whole philosophical discussion around why do we experience pain and the purpose of it. So, you know, pain is so intertwined with living animals and what drives us and motivates us. Bentham taught us this, you know, we seek things that are pleasant and we avoid things that are painful. It's such a part of our journey as humans and in other animals too. So I think in the future, I would hope to see that pain is still there because I think it's a core part of what makes you human and part of being human and part of being a living animal in this world. But I really do hope that we can take away the chronic pain. So that's interesting, isn't it? So we, it's part of being human to have yeah. pain and we seek out pleasure and, and avoid pain. But actually, it's more complicated than that, isn't well, it? Because sometimes we seek pain as well. Yeah. There's a guy uh, who has has like the world record for eating the most of the hottest chili peppers in <laughs> the shortest amount of time. You kind of think... What a I mean, legend. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, oh, this is good. What colour do you reckon his hair is? It's red, isn't it? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> He's called Jason McNabb. He kind of talks about it and says, you know, the pain subsides quite quickly and then you have a kind of euphoric sensation afterwards. And that is actually to do with the body's physiological response to pain, which is to produce endorphins. Um, and endorphins both block the kind of pain pathways yeah. so that you stop feeling it, but also they stimulate the areas of the brain that are some kind of pleasure-giving. So, And that's what you're left with once that pain has Yeah, has so that's why we like a curry, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, because you, you get, you get the, the pain and, the, and then the pleasure. Yeah. yeah. And and so that's why it is more complicated than saying we just try and avoid pain yeah. because pleasure and pain are inextricably linked. So let's go back to the original question. How much pain is too much pain? Well, if it's chronic pain, it's too much pain. Yeah. So pain is good when it's warning you about damage. And it is bad if it's just there as like background noise. Yeah. And pain is entirely subjective. All right. So if you're saying pain is just a thing that's in your brain, is it possible to kind of inject it directly? You know, put pain into the brain? Horrifyingly, yes. Oh. It, it is. If you put a probe in the brain, it shouldn't hurt because there are no pain receptors right. in there. However, there's a region called the... Uh, dorsal posterior insula which is a bit in the cortex kind of hidden in the in the cortex uh, right in the middle of your brain and it always although lots of areas kind of light up when you're in pain this one always seems to be involved so 
if you are treating patients who've got epilepsy, you need to disable bits of the brain in which yeah. seizures are, are occurring. And so you, you're, you'll often stimulate that area with an electrical probe to oh, make sure you've got the right, um, <laughs> the, the, the right target. And, sh- and this, uh, so this, <laughs> this neurologist thought, well, while I'm in there. Um, <laughs> and she had a go on this dorsal region oh. and said the patients were leaping off the bed. <laughs> <laughs> and so there is no actual pain. It's just they're stimulating that bit of the brain. And it's uh, just like an incredibly convincing synthetic pain. Just oh. agony just because you're stimulating this oh. one little area. But, but a response to nothing. You know who's just pricked up their ears? The US military. That's the thing, though. I mean, that's, Can you imagine that falling I, into the hands of Absolutely. Oh, absolutely can't Waterboarding? No, no, no. Yeah, let me just get this little probe in your brain. <laughs> I mean, it's really nasty. Oh. I'm just constantly stimulating that. Oh. Makes me feel sick. Yeah, yeah, me too. Thanks for that. Next week, we'll be talking about war in space. Is there going to be one? Uh, look at the film Moonraker. Awesome. We are doing a special talk, uh, The Science of Christmas, at Winterville, um, which is in... Clapham Common. Clapham Common. On the 4th of December? 4th of December. 4th of December. Uh, and we'll be uh, recording it, and it'll go as a live episode. Um, but, I mean, it might be nice to to come down and watch us watch us in full flow, live. Oh. Tickets are available. Where are they available from? The Funzing? Uh, Funzing or Winterville, or look on our Twitter feed and you'll find yeah, it. Yeah, Funzing... Winterville or on Twitter get yourself a ticket and we will see you there Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me Rick Edwards and Dr Michael Brooks the producers were El Scott and Cormac McAuliffe sound designed by Ivor Slayer Manley special thanks to Professor Irene Tracy if you like the show please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast thank you very much it does help and you can also find us on Twitter at science underscore ish Eating curry and, and like spicy food yeah. is a particular feature of, of humans because it is uh, it is unpleasant, it is painful, but we we get a kick out of it. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if you like you cannot uh, and, and scientists have tried, I think, train an animal to like if you give a give a dog a curry, <laughs> it will it will hate it and you will not be able to make it sort of go back and it's just like no, that's that's horrible. Like, I think painful. there's a science at home project going yeah. on here now. <laughs> give a dog the- a curry. <laughs>